Corinthians chapter 3. Now don't worry, uh, we'll make sure everybody's gone in time to start the Super Bowl. You won't be late for that. It's at 3.30 if you don't know, so we'll be clear by then. <laughs> You'll be good to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 we'll start at. The Bible says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If every man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful. God, might we, might we be touched and amazed this morning by the thought of your redemptive grace towards us. God, as was just sung, how could it be that we would be recipients of your mercy, that your blood would be shed for us, that you would love us enough to forgive us of such wickedness and such continual disobedience. God, we do ask for your hand on this time that it might be done and uh, uh, to your glory, to your purposes. We ask your hand on it. We love you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was the, uh, the uh, ringing that we were talking about, and so we'll get it out of the way here early. Maybe, or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> Try to listen up. So, in this passage, it, it gives one of the maybe most important and most amazing truths, something, though, we hear uh, so many times in what we're going to talk about here today, where it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And we use these, these words, and they're used throughout history, they're used uh, throughout the world today, as we were to talk about temple or tabernacle or church or house of God. Other faiths might call it a mosque or something of those nature. Uh, and, and all of these words are used to describe a place where people come to meet with God and observe their religion. That's, that's what these words describe primarily. You with me here this morning already? Hopefully I haven't lost you yet. Very simple. That, that's what we use these words for. And there are and have been uh, temples to nearly an infinite number of gods. Uh, if we were to go through some of the uh, religions that have multiple gods, some of them have thousands, and there's temples all over this world 
that you can come and sacrifice to this God and, and hear from him or meet with this God and talk to him. Uh, and they all serve essentially the same purpose in the mind of the person that's coming to them. They think they're coming to meet and commune with God in his house. That's what they think. And the temple is supposed to be uh, the house of God. If you want to meet God, you go to his temple. If you want to sacrifice to God, you go to his temple. And in the Old Testament, this was a reality. This was a truth. This is an interesting thing that we see in our world today that's extrapolated from something that really took place. Uh, in its construction, in the original temple that was built, the entire nation of Israel experiences the, the presence of God. Uh, in Exodus chapter 40, you don't have to turn there, but they, they finish the tabernacle there according to the way that God told them that it would be designed and built. And in verse 34 it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And look at this. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. If you were to read through that passage and the passages of, of God filling the tabernacle and being present there, you would see that the response to that is no man could stand. Just an amazing thing there. In 2 Chronicles 5, we see when the temple is built, as Solomon's building this temple, and it talks about the trumpeters and the music taking place, and they started to praise the Lord and say, He is good, His mercy endureth forever. And it said, Then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. And it said, So that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And I hope that that thought at, at least allows us to understand why they would be motivated to build and go to a temple. I hope that that's something we could say, that'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't you think? If you're maybe worshiping, and especially in that time as they come up, uh, children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and a plethora of gods are worshipped, and they're coming and they're going, okay, there's this Jehovah and there's all of these other gods and none of them have appeared. We just worship them and for whatever reason and we, and we trust that they take our sacrifices and all of these things. But imagine now that you've built this tabernacle according to the instruction of God in your mind, maybe supposedly, and you do it just as it was designed to be done and then God is praised and then his presence descends on it in a cloud that you cannot stand in. That's a big cloud. Where they're, they're literally crumpled to their knees in awe of what this is, of the glory of the Lord among them. And not only to know this, not only to see that, but that uh, he's real that he's available, but even more so that he's on your side. <laughs> they were fearful of this, but notice they're fearful even though they know this God's for us. <laughs> they're even afraid of his power and magnitude and glory there. And they did this as they poured out in their efforts 
making this temple. They made it holy and valuable and perfect. If we were to go through, and we don't have time this morning, but you would notice that each element in each part of the temple uh, had to be so very, very particular and specific that would be handled so carefully. There could be no blemishes. There could be nothing that was skimped on. This was the temple for the Almighty. And when it's completed, when, it, when they've poured out everything to ensure that it's the best, God's presence descends and they are able to commune in fellowship with the Almighty God. That's an amazing thing, folks. That's something special. That's something uh, indescribable. Uh, the Bible talks about it like a cloud. But can I tell you what? If it got cloudy in here, I wouldn't go, oh, I'm so afraid I can't even stand up. I would go, it's cloudy. That's odd. It's a strange thing to happen indoors. But you know what I mean? They're trying to describe something that words cannot do justice. That we couldn't possibly articulate. Even when Moses goes and sees the glory of the Lord from behind, what words could describe such a thing? There are none. To experience and to feel and to know the presence of the Almighty God. It's, it's such an amazing moment that they can't handle it. They fall. And every time, if you were to read on throughout your Bible, man comes into the presence of God, every time universally he's unable to stand. He can't stand up. That's how amazing the presence is. And, and not only that, when God's presence shows up every time in the Bible, it's withdrawn a little. Does that make sense? It's not all of it. God says if you were to see all of his glory, you would die. It would consume you, you would die. So in, in just a piece, a part, a, with, a restrained part of his presence, mankind is awed and floored and fall to their knees in awe of it. And he says that's the temple. And so you could see why uh, Old Testament Israel would be motivated to build this temple. We could even see here, if we're being honest, why all of the world's religions and all of the people throughout history would have a desire to build a temple that they might connect to the Almighty God. That's a desirable thing. It's something that you'd want to know. And this is what Israel understood. Up until this point, there was a temple that they would come to, and, and the Israelites would come and they would do sacrifice at the temple. They would come and they would worship God at the temple. They would come and they would pray there. They would do their business with God in the temple. In fact, one of the great issues with the Samaritans is that they built a temple that was not the temple. And the Jews said, no, you can't. God's not over there. He's here. We were there. Our, our ancestors were there when his glory came down and his presence was there. That's where he's at. He's not over there. That's the way that they think about God. You go to a place to meet with God. And yet here in 1 Corinthians, Paul reveals something so monumentally different about what's taking place now that to us maybe is... Judeo-Christians, and we look back and we've read so many of the stories. To us, it's just another piece. 
But when he says this, what, what an amazing thought that God who is dwelling in the temple, whose presence would fill it, whose such power and magnitude and might would cripple the people that were standing there. He says that presence is not now in four walls. He says this, ye are the temple. Maybe you're not getting it. I don't know. <laughs> you are the temple. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. When they hear these words, they're not thinking today as we might, where we would say, oh, okay, it's like the indwelling of the Spirit, and you're not really sure if it's there or not. You might doubt your salvation. No, no, no. They're thinking of the Spirit of God that is indescribable, that would descend and cripple the people that are there, that they would fall to their faces in the almighty presence of God. They're saying, that spirit that dwelled there now dwells here. That's amazing. That's a thought that we, we could do our best maybe this morning to articulate, but it's an impossibly amazing miracle. Even if it's something we've heard so many times, it should be something that should move us. That God, that God that would dwell, look at this. And this is something amazing. When they build the tabernacle and they build the temple, if you're with me here for a second, they don't just put up four walls and go, God's here now. Good enough. They don't go, they don't sprinkle a little holy water out of the baby rattle and go, God's here now. Right? I don't mean to make fun, I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't do that. They, for, they spend years meticulously making each piece, that it would be absolutely perfect, that God's temple would be the best, that there would be nothing like it in all of the world, that it would be filled with a gold and precious stones and rubies, that the curtains would be made of the finest colors with the perfect stitching, that each piece of it would be flawless and so far above anything that anybody else had ever even seen and, it, and, and been around. It was perfect. And God says, listen, that's where I would dwell. I'm not going to some shack in the corner. God says, I'm going to dwell in only that which is holy, is what he says. You with me? And he says, where does he dwell now? What a thought. Can I tell you what? If we're going to equate me to buildings... I'm not some building with a bunch of rubies and gold. I'm that South Venezuelan shackle with a tin roof, you know what I mean? That's me. They take two pallets and some tin. They put a little plant outside to try to make it look like home. That's, that's, that's my building. It's not some golden, perfect rubies and curtains that are perfectly... That's not, that's not me. I have a mirror, Okay? And that, but yet God would say, I'd only, before, I will only dwell in that building that is holy. It's set apart. It's perfect. It's flawless. It's without blemish. And now he says, you're that temple. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I have made you as the holy that I could dwell therein. What an amazing thought. That to God, you 
are that precious, holy, and beautiful, flawless place that he would dwell in. Not because you really are, but because his blood has made you that way in his sight. And that this, that now no longer is it that you go to some building to have fellowship with God, but fellowship with God takes place in your spirit, wherever you are. No, no distance is necessary to travel, to meet with the Almighty. Now to us, in the way that we look at Christianity, the way that we look at the Spirit of God, we may not think of that as, as magnificent, but the idea that you could experience the presence of God that cannot be described at any moment, without doing anything, without going anywhere, what an amazing thought that you could meet with God. Now, I don't want to pass by this point because he says, ye are the temple of God, but this ye is exclusive. He's not talking to everybody in the world here, and I don't want to miss that. This, this passage isn't directly speaking to this point, but we shouldn't miss it. If you're not in Christ, if you're not one that's been redeemed and covered by his blood, you're not declared as holy before him. He's not dwelling in that. We understand, just as we sang before, how could it be? Because we're wicked. We're dirty. We've made mistakes. We're not the beautiful building. The only way we can be that beautiful building is if we're covered by his blood. And if you're not uh, uh, one that's been a recipient of that, if you've not called out to him for salvation, you don't have that fellowship with him. You can't be that temple. When Jesus died, you were given access to salvation by his blood, but you have to call out to him for it. His desire was to reconcile man back to himself, redeem them from their sins that they've earned an eternity in hell for. But there has to be that moment in life where you turn from trusting self to trusting the sacrifice of God in the flesh, that you're born again, covered by his blood, and made holy in his sight. Otherwise, this passage does not apply to you at all. And I hope that if that's you here this morning, that's all you'd be able to think about is, am I a temple? Am, am I redeemed? Am I holy here today? But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this. He says, ye are the temple. And certainly that's true in the individual sense, as Paul says it. Certainly, as we understand that each person is the uh, 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 habitation of the Spirit of God, that he indwells every individual. Certainly that's a truth. But what Paul is saying here, he's actually saying this in a plural way. He's saying collectively, ye are the temple of God. He's speaking here to the church, and he says, ye are the temple of God. Ye all. And the Spirit of God dwells in you, is what he's saying here today. He's saying here, in this place, you are the temple of God, but it's not at all about this place. You understand? He's saying, he's saying this is the temple of God. This people here, you are the temple. And I think so often, because of the, the connotation of the word temple, because of the way that it was used throughout history, even in the world today, we sometimes, maybe just even the way that we speak, start to corrupt the meaning and the understanding of what God has shown us. And we come to church we go to the temple. We're having church or temple. We're going to meet up at the church or the temple. 
And we forget that none of those words actually make sense for the way that the Bible describes this thing to be. You with me? Meaning, if I'm here by myself today, this is a building. Now, I'm thankful for it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful for what God's allowed us to have, that we might be able to minister, that we could come here and have sound and warmth and really bright lights. I'm just thankful for all of that. But that's not, this isn't the temple. If we all go a block down the road, there's the temple. It's not here. It's over there. That's the church. In other words, he's saying, this is the temple. Ye are not this building. It's you. I mean, what an amazing thought that is you. And you, and you, and you. And we could go through. It's you. Not those chairs. We could get rid of the chairs. They're not the temple. The, the lights, the bathrooms, are not the temple. You with me? But it's even... Sometimes we even miss how much deeper it is than that because the temple's not the music. Man, how important is the music? How much did that minister to us earlier? That's not the temple. The temple's not the outreach. What an important thing for us to be uh, reaching out into the community and telling them about a God that loves them that's so important, but that's not the temple. That's not the church. It's not the programs. It's not the calendar. It's not the activities it's you. It's you and me here. We could take everything else away, and this is the temple. You with me? Meaning if we were to do everything else, if it was some amazing activity of display of songs and, and service in the most beautiful building with the best uh, uh, design of activities and calendar, but nobody here was actually a temple of the Holy Ghost, then that was nothing. It was no temple. It was no church. It was just a display. And we need to understand, we need to understand in a deep and meaningful way that when God says this is the church, this is the temple, this is it. Here, me and you, as we gather, this is the temple. I hope that's a thought that, makes, that means something to you this morning. That everything else is just something we do or something we benefit from or it's a tool and we can be thankful for it all and it all ought to be done, but it's not the temple. You are it. That's you. God's certainly pleased by the other stuff, but his pleasure, his dwelling place, his prize is his people. Separate from their activities or their services or whatever they might do. You and I here. What an amazing thing. And so hopefully we understand. I think that's a truth we all get, but look at what he says in verse 12. As he's talking about this, as he reveals this concept that know ye not that you're the temple, he said, you ought to know this. That should be evident to you by now through your fellowship with each other and, and your fellowship before God, that God's spirit now dwells there. You should know. And, and I don't want to skip that part. He says, don't you know that? Do you not know that you worship God? Do you not experience this, the presence of the Almighty? Shouldn't you know? You, are you with me here today? That, or what he's saying? If you're in the presence of the Almighty God, where it, it, it makes you fall to your knees, he says, shouldn't you like know that? And aren't you aware? He says. But then he says this. Now if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation 
that Jesus is the Christ, who he is, what he has done, that foundation we've built upon because we've been receivers of that grace and that mercy and of his blood and have been made holy in his sight, have now gathered together and now are comprising the temple of the almighty God. He says, if you're building upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, he starts talking about that you're going to be judged on what you've built. He reveals, in other words, the contents of this building. It's the, uh, it's the godly quality assurance test. What have you built? What's going on here? And now the quality as it's revealed, whether it's the best, whether it was appropriate, whether it was what it should have been, or whether it was cheaply made, in other words... And, and here, we don't know, but it may be an imagery here for the Corinthians of how the city would have had a section of the city that was decidedly poor. That would have had some houses that really weren't fit to live in. That were just barely put together with some almost materials of wood, maybe kind of like an old barn kind of, you might keep an animal in. That's where they would have houses. And then they would have had like the temple here uh, uh, to whatever God, and they would have had the palace, and they would have had these beautiful homes, and they would have had things that were statues made of gold and precious stones and beautiful things. And he's saying, look, is there not a decided difference? <laughs> he says, it's going to be evaluated which kind you built. There would have been a clear divide between the quality of buildings that were built. And he says, this building here, what you're building up, listen here, this is what's so amazing. He's talking about, what is the temple? This. And he says, you're going to be evaluated on how you built. Well, what are we building? This. Did you get that here? That's what he's talking about. So many times we take this, and, and it's certainly not inappropriate for us to look at a passage like this and say God's going to evaluate all our spiritual works. That's not an inappropriate interpretation. Certainly God's going to bring every work into judgment. But what Paul's speaking directly about in the context of this passage is about building the temple, which is you. He's saying, you're the temple. How have you built that? The bathrooms and their relative quality is not the issue that Paul's getting at here. We ought to build some bathrooms. Can I kind of stick that in another time? <laughs> but it's not what he's dealing with here. Not at all. He's dealing with the building of the temple, which, remember, is this here. And he's saying, how have you built that? And he says, not only this, he says, you're both the builder and the built. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing thought? He says, we are laborers together with God, Ye are God's building. You're both. You're building you. In other words, collectively. And he says this. The idea here is that you are now the temple of the Holy Ghost collectively as a body, as a church. You're the temple. And God's going to evaluate how you built that. And he says this, remember what the temple was like and the stones and the gold and the silver and the literal millions and billions of dollars they invested into such a building that it would be immaculate, perfect. There was nothing in the temple that anybody did that said... Ah, that was fine. Now, I work construction. Can I tell you, most construction ends like this. Ah, probably pass. 
Very seldom does construction end and you go, perfect. It's flawless. No, most things you build, you go, hopefully nobody notices, I don't know. <laughs> one time I did a construction project and we were putting some vertical pipes in and we were supposed to put one in and there's one that started, we had like 30 or 40 lines and one of them was on an angle, crooked. Supposed to be straight, but it was crooked. So instead of fixing that one, we just put them all on the same angle. <laughs> and it looked right. You look at it, you go, yeah, they're all straight. None of them were straight. That's not how they built God's temple. <laughs> it was perfect. And he says, now listen, now you're not building a building, you're building this. What an amazing thought. That it ought to be holy. It ought to be something that we've given our best to. That we've put every effort into meticulously making it as it ought to. The building of your spirit that is the house and the home of the almighty God. As we come and we bring sacrifice and repentance and as we draw nearer to him. When we, in other words, when we come in tears to an altar to get something right, it's a gold brick. Isn't that awesome? It's a building up of his temple. But listen, when we remain maybe spiritually absent, when we ignore issues in our spirit, when we... Uh, when we're destitute spiritually and there's all sorts of things that we're going, ah, good enough. Yeah, I didn't do right this week, but good enough. Yeah, I totally could have came to church on Sunday night, but whatever. When that's our attitude, pallet wall in the temple, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for the temple of the almighty God to have some, you know, we'll just put some hay and some clay and just, it's good enough. God says, what? No. What are you building? What's your attitude for being the holy and amazing temple of the Almighty? Is it the attitude of, ah, it's just good enough. I don't really need to try any harder. Or is it the attitude of, God, this is, I'm, you've declared me as the holy temple. And as we come down to an altar and as we're coming to church and as our, our desire to worship him is, it, it ought to be that we would say, what, God, if there's anything in my life, like David, search my heart. Tell me if any of the building pieces are not the way you would like them to be. Because this is for you. This is your temple. That ought to be our desire. It ought not be said that when we get to heaven, he's looking at a temple and it's two pallet walls and a piece of tin on the roof. And we just said our whole life, I was fine for God. It ought not be the case. He talks about if you're, if you're building a temple... You're not only building that which is part, which is yourself, but you're adding to it. If the precious stones and the gold bricks and the pleasures of his habitation is the souls that have been called upon him for salvation, then we probably should do some mining for some rubies. Amen? We probably should go get some more gold. You imagine? We ought to be out there with the pan, just... Is there, any, is there anything here for the Lord? Man, what are you building here? Are you going to ah, ask? Some, some wood will do. I don't, whatever. In other words, we're talking about the adding to God's temple. In other words, God's temple never has too much gold, God's temple never has too many rubies. It's never too amazing, it's never too uh, grandiose. There's always room for more, in other words, in the building of God's temple. He says you ought to do that. 
But here, what else does he say? Because he talks about this here, and we'll get to this in a moment, but he says this. If this is the temple, now listen up here because this is important. If this is the temple, then my involvement in your life is akin to the construction of the holy temple of God. You with me here? Did you get that? That your involvement in my life is akin to the construction of the holy temple of God. That how you minister to each other, how we treat each other, how we build each other up, how are we constructing each other's lives is akin to the constructing of God's temple. And the question here we would have is, is what have you built in the lives of others? Now he says you might have built gold, silver, precious stones, or you might have built wood, hay, and stubble. In, in 2019 American Christian churches, I'm wondering if half of us are building anything at all. Wood, hay, and stubble would be way better than nothing. At least it's something. He's comparing terrible quality to really good quality. I think in this age, for our churches, we're saying, is there any quality? Is there any involvement in each other's lives? I feel like so often our struggle is to just connect it all to each other, to just even know each other. I don't, I don't mean to sound harsh or unkind about this because that's not my desire. My desire is to build you up. But shouldn't we know each other? Shouldn't we be involved in investing into each other's lives? Now I understand no one person can know everyone and invest in everyone. It's not possible. But shouldn't each one of us have people that we've invested in and have built in their lives? And, and listen, not where we go, how much time can I give you so that I can say that we are like, to, you know. <laughs> hey, can you help me move? Yeah, I got like 30 minutes after lunch. I could come over. Take about 15 minutes to drive there. Right? That's wood. <laughs> hey, stubble. Our desire ought to be that my, when I build into your life and that I minister to you, that my desire should be that if I can do something for you, I want to do it meticulously and perfect and holy because this is the temple. If I were to do anything for you, I ought to do it as if I was building the holy temple of God. That my speech into your life ought to be something to where I speak with love and mercy and grace always. Why? Because it's like the temple. You with me here? That if there's something wrong in your life, my desire ought to be, eh, whatever. What? No. That's the temple. That's God's temple. Would we not strengthen it and lift it up if we were standing in the literal temple of God and these weren't four walls of sheetrock, but they were lined with gold and silver and precious stones and we knew that it was because of our meticulous care in making this building holy that God would descend and meet with us and it was only because of that we would be able to commune with the Almighty. And there was something that was in disrepair. How many of us would go, absolutely not. It's got to be done right. It's got to be fixed, lest we not have fellowship with the Almighty. Lest there are those that are cut off from access with Him. This is for Him. You wouldn't have a pallet wall in the temple. Are you kidding? And yet so often when we invest in each other's lives, we go, I don't really care much for that person. What? That's the temple. It's amazing. He says this, he's going to judge 
whether we would invest and what we would have and, and what our uh, quality was in our building up of the temple. And for some, it's the, it's the difference here between the, the little shack with a tin roof and the $20 million mansion with heated floors. What are we trying to build? What's your desire to build into people's lives? In other words, do we intentionally and deeply invest into the lives of other people, seeking the, to build them up as precious stones? Or do we engage in, with each other in a shallow way? In other words, barely putting down some, some cheap linoleum from the 70s. You know what I mean? How do we engage with each other? God says this is, he says this here. This is the temple. And he says, I've built you up as lively stones. You're my construction project. And I've already declared you to be holy. And I gather you here and you are the temple that you might commune and have fellowship with me. And not only that, but to invest deeply and, and intentionally into each other's lives. What kind of relationship should that be? Should that be something where it's like, I mean, I know their name. I think I prayed for them once when they were on the Wednesday night prayer list in 2011. No, it ought, to, it ought to be something where you're thinking constantly, that wall in the temple's not right. It can't be that way. That gold is, is somebody needs to go polish that gold faucet. It's gotten dirty. It needs help. This is the temple for the Almighty. It's the way it ought to be. That sh should be our heart, that we're building something amazing. And he says this in verse 17. Look at this, because he gets heavier with this analogy. He says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He says this, God forbid that you should instead of building, destroy or defile the temple. This word defile, wither or spoil or ruin or corrupt or destroy. And so often we look at this and we say, uh, you know, don't destroy or defile the temple. And we take this and we go, see, you're the temple. You shouldn't defile it, so don't smoke or eat too much sand, whatever, fats. You know, trans fats, saturated fats. Which one are you not supposed to eat? I don't remember. No fats. All fats are gone. Unless you're keto, then eat all the fats. Whatever. <laughs> Sometimes we, just, we apply it just that way. You know what I mean? And certainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about this in relation to fornication, how that would defile the temple, uh, and he's speaking in a more a personal sense. But here, look at the context. He's dealing with the, with the building of the temple collectively. And he would say, how dare anybody defile God's temple? Paul is speaking to those in Corinth who were fighting and arguing, trying to make themselves look superior as they tore each other down. He's referring to those who would seek to defile or ruin or corrupt or harm or offend his temple. And what an atrocity that would be to destroy your spirit or another's spirit in sin or offense. How could you do that? In other words, to hurt those that comprise his temple is an insult to God. Imagine the tabernacle or the temple, if you will. We don't have any pictures from then. Nobody remembered to bring a camera. But if we did, it would be beautiful. 
And remember you're standing there. Just, just try to think that way. Imagine you see the gold and the, the precious stones and the silver and everything's amazing and the curtains and you can't see the Ark of the Covenant, but you know it's there and you know it's just something powerful. And imagine in this amazing setting, God's Spirit descends and you're forced to your knees in the presence of the Almighty God. And then imagine you have two children who are standing in the temple and they've got a, some rocks. They're having a little rock fight in the temple, throwing rocks at each other and it's smashing this chandelier and scuffing up that. As God's Spirit has descended and everyone's on their faces, your two children, you would go, are you kidding? Do you know what you just did? Do you know in that moment, you know what's not going to matter? Who started it? <laughs> not that it ever matters to a parent, but then it way don't matter. Do you know you're throwing rocks and breaking things in God's temple? Are you kidding? His presence just descended and filled this place that we could worship and be in the presence of the almighty God and you're breaking things in his temple, throwing rocks at each other? Are you kidding? He says, what kind? Who would go into God's temple and start to defile and destroy and insult and offend and hurt his temple? Are you kidding? How crazy is that when you think about that? That you and I would look at one another and go, yeah, I don't really like that person. They could leave. What? How could that be? That's God's temple. That's the chandelier. It's the candelabras. I can't not get into that. <laughs> Sorry. I got just weird problems here. <laughs> to hurt those, in other words, that comprise his temple is what an insult, not to them, but to God. He says, that's my temple. My desire would be that you're built up, that you're strengthened, that you're serving him as a holy temple, that you've come together in comprising of the church clean and right and healthy and serving him. That ought to be my desire. If you're not doing all that's in your power to build up and strengthen and help those here, I don't think you're grasping the concept that that's his sacred temple. Amen. If somebody goes missing and you go, well, they were kind of just a problem anyway. It's his temple. What are you doing? And so Paul's dealing with this concept here and he's, he says, listen, he's talking to a church that has problems with backbiting and gossip and contention and division and strifes and all of these issues here. And he says, listen, you don't understand. The temple's not that building you go to. It's not the temple that maybe you even have church in now. He says, you're the temple and you're going to be evaluated, judged eternally by God himself, by how you built this thing. Not whether or not you invested in the bathrooms, whether or not you invested in each other. How this happened. And he says, man, how important is that? And he says, listen, God forbid that one of you would come in and seek to elevate yourself and defile each other. You're destroying his temple. And he says, that ain't going to fly with me. But here, before we close, I don't want to take too much more time. But so often we talk about building the temple. And the question would be is, for what, though? Are you with me here in that, in that question here this morning? For what? 
Okay, yeah, let's build the temple. Let's invest in the temple. Yeah, let's put it in our mind that that doesn't mean these stairs or the chairs or the piano or the lights, but it means each other. Not that those things don't matter. We're thankful for them, but it means this. And if we invest in each other and build it, the question is, for what? Now, outreach, the Great Commission, that's part of building the temple, but for what? That's not the end. The end is not outreach. It's to reach an end. To build each other, to just have a temple is not the point. The idea was not, let's just put a nice gold building up, spend some billions of dollars, good. No, that wasn't the end of it. That wasn't, that wasn't all it is. Now listen, I've been part of construction projects that were never intended to be finished and had no purpose. If you've worked in construction, you know that those exist. If you work for government jobs, you know those are all of them. <laughs> worked on a worked on a site in the Hanford that was supposed to be finished in 2007. It was when I got there in like 2012, they were basically just starting. End date was like 2012. Then it was 2015, 2019. Now it's like 27, 38, whatever. <laughs> they have no intention of finishing it. It's just to make money, to build something that's never really going to be used probably. There's plenty of those. Is that the church? Is that what we're here for? Is my desire to say, man, if we could just get one more person in these seats, we're done. Um, listen, imagine today if all of Bothell was here. Saved, they're baptized. Man, there's no serious sin problems. Would we all go, oh, I guess we're done. Go home. We did it. No, what's the purpose of having a temple? Why are we doing this? The, the temple has a purpose. It did then and it still does today. And he would say this, if you look at Psalm 138 too, you don't have to turn there, but this is David saying, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all the congregation. And in Exodus 40 and throughout <coughs> the building of the tabernacle and the temple, the phrase continually was that a cloud would cover the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord would fill the tabernacle and that they would have fellowship in the presence of the Almighty, that they would meet with Him, that they would enjoy Him and walk with Him. That's why they built a temple. You with me? They built this temple in the hopes, in the desire, as they meticulously took care to make sure each piece was perfect. They did that so that they could have fellowship and worship the Almighty God and that He would commune with them. That was their desire. That was what, that's what it was always for. And now, I don't want to miss this because sometimes we forget, but that's like the whole definition of heaven right there. When you get to heaven, that's what it's like. It's not like riding unicorns on clouds. That'd be cool, I guess. But I'm thinking like for eternity, that'd get boring. Right? I don't really like taking care of a dog very much. I don't want to take care of some unicorn. <laughs> Clean a waist up in clouds? That'd be difficult, is what I'm saying. Heaven, as described by God, is that the idea that we're in the presence face-to-face -face with our Savior, the Almighty God, and we worship Him and enjoy His presence for eternity. Now, many of us, because we're carnal and we're in the flesh, we go, 
Okay. We don't get why that's amazing. But can I tell you what? The more that we focus on using the temple, the more we'll understand what heaven's really like. The idea is not to just build a temple for the sake of building it, but never use it. How, in other words, how trite, how shallow of, it, uh, of us as a church would it be to invest in this building but never see it used? Man, great if we, if, we, if we conceptualize and understand the thought that this stuff is just a building but that this is the temple, this is the church, and we invest in and build each other up. But if it's never used, still really pretty shallow. Still fairly pointless, in other words. He says the building of the temple, this idea, this concept would be that we would worship and come into the presence of the Almighty God. Do you understand that God's not homeless? He's not looking for you to build a house so he has a nice place to stay. It was, that wasn't the point then. It's not the point now. He wants to commune with you and me. He wants you and I to be in his presence. He wants us to enjoy him in fellowship with him. He wants our sacrifices of a broken and contrite heart to be brought before him. He wants to see the tears of those that are redeemed, that have brought forth sacrifice and repentance and walk with him. He wants to see those that pour out their hearts to him in worship and are touched by his spirit. That's what he wants. That's what we're here. This is the temple, and that's the purpose of a temple. If we just come and we use a bathroom and sing some songs and nothing's going on and we preach a message, praise the Lord, it's all good, it's all right. But if this never happens, then it was a pointless temple. It was a temple that just existed for the sake of having one. No. Listen, might we use the temple might our desire as we invest in and work in and building each other and building our spirits and making sure we're right before God and making sure we help each other, might that purpose be so that we can walk into the presence of God in the temple? Because listen, that's when it really gets done. That's when it's real. That's when the purpose is really understood. That's when the cloud descends spiritually, not physically, and your heart goes, man, I know. I am in the presence of God. Amen. And can I tell you what? You don't stand at your seat anymore and go, no, no, no. When God's presence shows up, you go, I got to get down. Maybe I can't physically get down, but I'm down here because God showed up and I got some things I got to deal with. There's some sacrifices that need to be put on that altar. I got some business I got to do. I got to just worship the one who died for me. Amen. And you begin to understand what it means that we're a temple not only that, but what we're going to do for eternity. But if we just go through the motions, maybe not even building anything, just attending a building that does some things, man, we're missing it. We're missing so much. Ye are the temple. And this morning, if you would, this morning, would we use that temple? If you'd stand to your feet this morning and bow your heads,